Hey, welcome to episode 114 of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Emlo. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Jesse Atlas on. He is a director, and he has made uh, a bunch of stuff, including two short films that have done rather well. They were both, I'm pretty sure, Vimeo staff picks. Uh, the first one got him a feature deal with a studio, a big Hollywood studio. The second one is on the festival circuit. It premiered at Tribeca. And he has kind of become really strategic about how he works on short films. He even teaches a workshop on his short film theories. And not just how to make a great short film, but how to make that short film work well for you in your career and for your future, basically. His whole point is like, it's an investment in time and creative energy and resources. And so why not be the most strategic that you can be? So narrow things down to exactly the things that you are aspiring to and what you want, and then make that short work for you, and then have a plan to execute both the short and also the future of that short's life, basically. Yeah, so we just dive into short films and how to give them like a... Take long to, life yeah long life and and take it to the next level if you're you know an accomplished filmmaker or a person who's thinking about a short if you've got a few shorts under your belt and you really want to like figure out how to have them help you level up basically jesse's mastered the ideas and the theories behind how to make a short do the most for you as possible but before we talk to jesse i would love to know matt what have you been working on lately yeah man i am i'm enjoying that little um the the sunset phase of having wrapped out a big job i've got other stuff coming i'm in development mode i'm basically writing and pitching for the next month or so um and i'm really having a good time with it i've been craving it because i was on that job for like four months i realized it's long yeah it sounds really Um, stressful to me the the previous job or or just hanging out just hanging out Um, hanging out for one day i'm like go postal i'm getting a little itchy but I've like I've got enough meetings. I'm, I, my days are still pretty varied. It's not um, it's not a problem yet, basically. And, and kind of was part of my plan. So that's been really good. And then you know it's funny. I had a kind of a breakthrough that I think is worth talking about in terms of voice and like the way that I see myself because I kept thinking about what I wanted to be doing next and what I should be developing and kind of the stuff that uh, Jesse is talking about. You know, just like what is it that I do? And I it realized when I was younger, you know, I looked up to all these filmmakers, you know, Spike Jones and Soderbergh and all like all these guys that are like really stylistic and cool and like did cool music videos and were cool, cool directors, right? Like David Fincher is a cool director. And I thought that that's what I wanted to be. And I kind of, honestly, I'm like a grown ass man and just realized, um, not like just this week that what I'm best at and what I like to do is different than that. And so the realization that like, just because you love a filmmaker or a style or a point of view or a voice, um, doesn't mean that that's who you are as a filmmaker. It seems really obvious, but like when you think about it to yourself, um, and admit that maybe you're not the, the thing that you're striving for isn't exactly what you're aiming for or should be aiming for. I think it can be really freeing. So I realized like, you know, I'm like a lot more James Brooks, like, like I love a good workplace comedy or like, you know, like characters who care about each other and crack jokes 
and maybe have a little bit of adventure, but like, you know, I'm more about feelings and the emotional sentimental core of a story. And then the jokes on top of that than I am about like a cool visual trick or something like that, or like moody lighting or like wonders, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, I think anybody who's objectively looking at my work is like, well, yeah, obviously that's what you do. But I didn't realize it myself until just recently. Yeah, no, I have that struggle every day. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, Yeah, I'm like, and like I pitched a TV show a couple of years ago that I don't know if I would watch because I don't really watch TV shows like that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really watch any sci-fi dramas, but I was pitching a sci-fi drama. drama so what is that? Right, me exactly you know um yeah. with shorts too i always wonder it's like all these people are like ex you know like so interested in making short films but they all hate watching short films mm-hmm. um but yeah i think it's uh it, it, it i mean there's this old adage that you are good at what you like you know mm-hmm. um and you're just saying that you're realizing that's not a hundred percent true <laughs> right exactly i think as filmmakers you love a lot of movies and a lot of a lot of things you know like you can love music videos and commercials and documentary and not be a documentarian you know yeah i kind of decided a while ago that i i am not interested in making music videos even though i Mm -hmm. love the idea that you can explore kind of cool ideas with them they're just so much work Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know uh with so little money that i'd just rather explore those visual ideas on my own thing or in a commercial or something yeah yeah, I'm still down for music videos, but like, but only because they're an excuse to play. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. If somebody handed me one with yeah. an, an okay budget, I'd definitely be open to it, but I'm not pursuing yeah. them. Yeah. You don't care about that at all. Cool, man. Yeah. What about you, Orin? What have you been working on lately? Well, I have a question for you. How, and we've already talked about this before we started recording, but how many people do you think is normal to audition in one day? I know, I know the answer. Oh, God, I I have come to really appreciate like a two or three hour session. Right. In which case, <laughs> which you, you see know, thirty. Yeah, yeah, about basically. ten people per hour. Ten people an hour is about right. That's a little fat. Well, depends on if you're doing scene work, um, if you're doing like mixing and matching people, or if it's like just spots where it's like come in and say that you know your lines for your thirty second spot and maybe throw a button on the end. Um, but you could go. You could go closer to like six an hour even, and it would be okay. Yeah. Well, we have, I think we have a seven hour session tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. We're going to see 86 actors and it is going to be really hard. And these are callbacks. These are not the pre-read. So we pre-read like 400 people. There's, we're casting 14 roles. Um, so it's, I'm just like not looking forward to it. It's also my first time meeting the agency people. So We've talked about this before, but I I feel like I'm going to be judged by how I'm working with the actors, by the agency people. So, yeah, that's what I got tomorrow. Yeah, it's like you're like, hey, nice to meet you. Bang, we're running a marathon. Yeah, and from, I mean, if any actors listen to this, the one piece of advice I'd give you, which is totally useless, but just know when we're seeing that many people in one day, any excuse to cut someone, <laughs> we yeah. take. Um, like, oh, this person you know, is will require a studio teacher to be on set. Nope. Uh, nope. This person has the same hair color as this other person. You know, this nope. person was five minutes late. Let's just skip, you know? So it's not that that stuff is so important, but when you're doing especially commercial stuff and the look is 90% of what we're going for, 
uh, and we have more options than we need, we'll just like start cutting people for very, very simple, like non-important reasons. So anyway. And it has no bearing on whether or not you were a good actor or whether or not you're going to make it. I hope that instills you with faith. (laughs) I mean, I think it should actually, because, um, it's, it's a, it's a, just a little bit of a gamble. But the the thing is, is that commercials aren't going to help your career beyond just having money. Right. And that's obviously an important, valuable thing, but, um, I think in this day and age, you can't depend on commercials unless you really have like a look that you book commercials all the time. And there's some actors who are lucky enough to like be distinctive enough looking that they book all the time. But for the most part, you can't count on commercials to pay your rent. So like the, you really have to think of them as a windfall and who wouldn't want one of those. But also like if you're not depending on it and you know that the stakes are basically super low, you can free yourself up mentally to not worry about them. Just go do a good job and then leave. Yeah, and know that somebody probably did fight for you. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. some point, even though you never got the callback. Yeah, there are a lot of people on your side, and it it's hard to understand that. But like, you've got, you know, a bunch of agency people, the director, the the reader, oftentimes has more say than you realize, and the casting director, all of whom are kind of like working together to get, in this case, your uh, one thousand people to come back and. <laughs> Yeah, it's nuts. Um, well, cool. Well, yeah, uh, we'll do a one-on-one episode soon, and we will catch up on yeah. more things in detail. Uh, before we talk to Jesse Atlas, I just want to remind you guys that if you like the podcast, you feel like you're getting something out of it, if you want to just help us pay our team and uh, let us know that you guys like what we're doing, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pod. and we appreciate anything you guys want to do. Uh, cool. So without further ado... Jesse Atlas. Thanks for coming. Um, we've known you for a while. You were in our director's group. Thanks for having me. Jesse, you, um, I feel like you, whenever we talk about shorts off the mic, Oren's always like, we got to get Jesse on the show. Jesse is the smartest dude when it comes to shorts of anybody I know. He's going to blow people's minds. Trust me, this is incredible. I went to a screening with Matt and we saw a bunch of shorts and some of them are great, but some of them are like so bad. And I was like, I wish we could just do an episode where we talk about what not to do in your short. Yeah. And Jesse, you're an expert, not only on making a good short, but one that strategically is helpful to your career. So let's start there. Once upon a time, you hadn't figured everything out and you were like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and make a short. What? tell us about that first experience. Okay. So it's really funny because well, I have a set of rules that I go by now when I'm making short content and especially in making sure that it's reflective of where I want to be in my career, who I am as a person, who I am as a storyteller, um, and also what's important to me in the world of my story. And now having having those rules defined, it's really funny to look back on um, my first short film where I didn't have those rules in place. But I kind of I was subconsciously right. following those rules, even you though are I had natural. Yeah, I hadn't laid them out. I didn't know what they meant yet, but mm-hmm. they were still there. Right. So what was happening was I was attached to a studio film as a writer and a director. And this is before you had any shorts or anything like that? This is before I had a short on my own. I had uh-huh. a directing partner and we got attached to a feature. Um that was actually a sequel and it was a studio film and 
I pitched a story that I for it that I really really liked, and over the course of a couple months of working with these producers, our story, which which had great character arcs that I was really proud of, that was asking really really smart questions about the world, slowly got chipped away at. Not in this kind of like, oh, well, I'm an artist and you guys are idiots because you work Mm -hmm. at a studio. It wasn't really about that. It was much more about the fact that there were creatures in this movie. Mm -hmm. There were monsters. And the the first movie in this series had cost X amount of dollars. And for Mm -hmm. X amount of dollars, they got Y amount of creatures. Sure, sure. So if it were Jurassic Park, you'd be like, okay, well... Mm-hmm. We know three velociraptors costs a million right. bucks. Exactly. Right. And we we've got half a million. Tyran- Tyrannosaurus rexes for the cost of three velociraptors. Right, right. So um, despite the people who, were, who we were working with on the studio side also being very smart people and very smart storytellers, their mandate was, look, if, the, if what was spent on the first movie was X and we got Y amount of creatures and now we're spending XX, then we should have Y, mm-hmm. Y amount sure. of creatures. And so our script wasn't fulfilling that amount of creatures. And, you know, it wasn't for lack of love for monster and creature movies. It was just we were telling a very smart story and one in which the encounters with the creatures um, were more powerful in in quality Mm -hmm. than in quantity. Mm -hmm. But they had a formula that they had to stick to, which is they had to see monsters so the script the script kind of started spiraling out of control out of my hands and scenes and arcs and beats that were once very strong were now getting interrupted by the fact that you had to see a creature Mm -hmm. um and the the writing on the wall was clear that the script was just getting worse and worse and even though we were satisfying this requirement of their superiors we all knew that the script was getting worse and worse Mm -hmm. Months before it fell apart, I knew that it was going to fall apart. And I knew that I had to do something else to pivot to land on my feet. Mm-hmm. And what that other thing was, was I knew that I, I had to create new material for myself. I needed a new short film. And one of the things that was going through my mind, the strongest thing that was going through my mind is like, I hate the idea that there has to be this amount of set visual effects creatures at every point throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them. I'm going to make a sci-fi film with no VFX. And that became like one of my defining goals mm-hmm. in starting to craft this other film that I was working on. And in addition to that, I was like, I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them that I can tie every character beat in my film in with the sci-fi concept. Mm-hmm. Because in this feature film, those things were falling apart. So I already had like two things that were very important to me. Right. Um, in my goals and you know I like that they were kind of very kind of technical goals not technical but they're related to the format they're more like an ethos than like a story it's not like Mm -hmm. yeah it's more of the type of story you want to tell it's true and you know there's there's you know I have a long a long-standing existential relationship or problem or however we want to phrase it with like being proactive or being reactive Mm -hmm. and i certainly understand that these choices were i like i was being reactive but in this case these reactive choices um helped me to create something really strong so the the film that we're talking about is record play and record play is driven by a is driven by a um sound effect Mm -hmm. concept um the strongest visual effect in record play is an edit 
um, and being on either sides of the divide of, um, of being able to move in and out of time, two different time periods and two different worlds. Um, and I knew that we wanted to, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself and my, uh, writing partner, Aaron Wolf. Um, we wanted to find a, a concept that was audio driven and sound driven instead of being visual effects driven, not only for the constraints of budget, because as we all know, a lot of our shorts are coming from out of pocket or from very personal Sure. ways of funding yeah best case scenario oh a kickstarter that you know your aunt funded with you right you know like yeah exactly yeah. but you know looking at it as a business investment and we knew we didn't want any vfx from that some point we also knew that we wanted to challenge ourselves to do something that that nobody else was doing in the sci-fi space so that led us to this idea um that that sound would tell the story in a way that the visuals mm-hmm. really couldn't um and arriving at that place you know, all of a sudden, a lot of things kind of snapped into focus once we had that concept, once we had the concept that um, that the cassette in the film would be the um, mm. the sound itself, the sounds that were on the cassette were going to be the things that were going to carry us from one space to another. Right. The sound is the monster. Exactly. It's not the, a puppet of a monster or, right. or a digital version of the monster. It's exactly. Like the you, manifestation is the sound. Yeah, right. I guess I'm curious. Like, Can you if, tell us the log line real quick? yeah it's like reveal yeah no it's it's uh the the log line is basically how a walkman and a cassette tape transcend space and time Mm. to bring our protagonist back to the moment of his wife's death in his quest to alter the events of her death Mm -hmm. yeah so that's 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 kind of the log line you know it's a 10 minute short so i can't say too much more than that about how he winds up manipulating space and time without giving away too many things but yeah, so an audio-driven concept is is what got us to that point, and then um, and then you know my goal of crafting of kind of melding all of the character beats and character arcs to that sci-fi concept um, really gave us like a great kind of mandate for how we were going to go about the short because so we really mm-hmm. wanted to be able to show a complete emotional arc in ten minutes. Right. Um, and as we all know, shorts operated at a different pace; they move at a different speed. Um, they don't necessarily conform to like your standard three act structure. So you have to find a way both to accelerate the narrative and a way to slow it down. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the really, really tricky parts. That's definitely something I've noticed about your work <clears throat> that it feels like you're, you feels like you get time with the characters and it's like reflective, but also a lot of stuff happens. It's, it's funny. Cause I still, I still never fail to get nervous a little bit when I'm at a screening of either record play or let them die like lovers. Um, which is your more recent short, right? Which, um, which I just took to Tribeca film festival, 2018. You know, I always kind of set forth for myself. Another rule of short filmmaking is, is that the pacing has to operate at the pace of a short film. And there's, I think that there's um, a different way to look at that than a feature film. You don't have the luxury of time. You know, I can, I can go to any, can go to any short screening and, and, you know, within three or four minutes, if I've watched, if three or four minutes of the film have been spent on somebody walking out of their front door or making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I'm like, okay, well, we're halfway done here and the story hasn't gotten started. I'm going to tune out now. Um, and that's something that like with record play, um, you know, the first three minutes of the film 
are a man sitting at a table listening to a, a cassette tape. Mm -hmm. And every time I see it in a screen, I'm like, oh my God, this is so slow. How, sure. like, what a failure. Like, I've, yeah. I've broken my own rules and like, That's what why are people thinking? That's why you can't watch yeah. your own stuff, man. Yeah. It's so boring. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, are people gonna tune out? And then the comment that I get at the end all the time is like, oh man, I was so glad that I like, I had a chance to sit with this guy mm -hmm. before he started this journey, right? I do wanna just, you know, rewind for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, film school. Did you go to film school? No. Did you? I did not. Something? I I got a theater degree. Okay. I decided that I wanted to get the most useless degree possible. Yeah. And you were like film yeah. school. That's too useful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and are you and from LA? No, I'm from New York and New Jersey. Um, I did undergrad theater at Rutgers. I definitely got a lot out of how to work with actors out of it. Um, but yeah, no film school. Right. Um, um, how did you uh, find yourself at Talent Week then? Did you go to USC eventually? Or how do I find myself? At Talent Week, at the USC thing. Oh, um, I was invited by an organization called New Filmmakers Los Angeles. Oh, cool. Awesome. They're a great organization. So they've been, they've been supportive of me and have, um, you know, as they have been of New Filmmakers, as, sure. which is their Isn't their it mandate. funny, though, yeah. that they call you a new filmmaker? And how long have you been in L.A. making films? Well, you know, it's been, it's, yeah, but there's been different iterations of that. You know, at first I thought that I wanted to make documentaries and I made one. Um, and while I'm very proud of it, I don't think that I would ever make another documentary because, man, without that was draining. Yeah. Um, and then I had a directing partner for a little while. So really, it's only been about, you know, uh, five years. And while I have found a lot of success in the short form and I've been able to leverage that um, to creating short form series, to starting a uh, short form content creation workshop and in storytelling um, and and the fact that I've been able to move forward with some of my shorter films and setting them up as feature adaptations. And now some of them as TV, um, you know, I guess, you know, I'm still, I'm still on, I'm still on this side mm -hmm. of my first feature. Right. I'm still on this side of my first TV show. Um, but I feel like my experiences in the trenches are only giving me more to talk about and more to more info and more lessons that I can share with all my colleagues. For sure. But yeah. it, there is kind of a little bit of a takeaway that like five years yeah. is a brand new filmmaker in L.A. Yeah. 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 No, that's yeah, you're that's an overnight true. success at 10 right. years, right? Like people <laughs> yeah. think. Yeah. And you made record play like two years ago now. Uh, no, it was actually five years ago. Oh, yeah. So that's when that, that's when you mark the beginning of you as a filmmaker. I think so. Yeah. I think I was I was messing around with a few different ideas, but it didn't really coalesce into like what my my own voice in all this actually was until I had made that film. I guess I think what's interesting to our listeners mm -hmm. is more like, how do you take a short and turn it into a fucking studio deal with, for a feature film? Like, yeah, where does that, how does that happen? Absolutely. Okay. So when I finished record play, I was convinced that I had just made a, re a directorial calling card. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the story was a little bit out there. Um, I'd definitely taken some risks um, in asking people to suspend their disbelief and people really, really went along with it. And I had a very supportive agent who, you know, and did you get the agent from? Record no, I, I had already had that in, in place at the time of record play. And then like the year, kind of the years, couple of years before that, when I did get attached to a feature, there were, it was a time of a lot of broken scripts were around mm -hmm. and a lot of like the more newly signed writers or writer directors 
would get a chance to like take a crack at these like D-list scripts. Mm-hmm. Like question for like American like, Pie 5, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, and so the question was always like, well, is this real? Like, does the producer that owns this like even care about this? You know, and you're, you're not quite sure, but like it's what you can get your hands on. I did not know at the time that I finished Record Play that the industry was in the middle of a kind of like feeding frenzy of finding shorts and acquiring shorts as IP to adapt to features. And that was part of what was going on in the cultural landscape at that time. And this you know, like four years ago. Yeah. Um, and as, this was like the time when like every amazing sci-fi VFX short was being like those directors were being oh, snatched, absolutely. Right? You're talking about the absolutely. Josh Tranks of the world and the yes. or like the Raven. The Raven is a perfect example, right? You know, when Neil Blomkamp made um, "Welcome to Joburg" or right. "Welcome mm-hmm. to Johannesburg," I forget if it's which. I guess that's welcome it's to Joburg. Yeah, Joburg, I think. Yeah, Before Joburg, the yeah. pre-District 9. Yeah. So, you know, he made that, and then Peter Jackson came in as an executive producer, and he was attached to the Halo movie mm-hmm. for a while, which, which you know, he, he still, he had his District 9. He had the District 9 idea, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they were trying to jump him from the short version of District 9 to the feature version of District 9, as I think we had, mm-hmm. a lot of us know the story that, you know, that came that basically came together as like a gift from Peter Jackson once once Halo fell apart. Yeah. But with other films like The Raven, where it was like, okay, we you know, somebody needs to buy this, um, and let's, you know, you know, let's flesh it out together, let's develop it. This is this is hot new IP. Um, I kind of fell into the same category with Record Play, where it was like, Oh my god, what is this? I finished it, I sent it to my agent the next day. He told me that he had sent it to 10 people, to 10 production companies, um, several of them studios. This is pre-film festival. This is pre-film festival. And he said, what's the feature version? I said, I don't have a feature version. I just worked with my writing partner, Aaron, to just, you know, boil this down into 10 minutes. There's no feature. What are you talking about? And he was like, okay. He called me back um, the next day. He was like, yeah, you better come up with the feature version. <laughs> because there's a lot of people that like this yeah. and they want to see a feature version. Right. Um, and they're going to forget about you like in a month. Mm-hmm. Basically, despite the fact that I convinced myself that I did not have a feature version, when Aaron and I went back over the pile of ideas and the pile mm-hmm. of things that we had to leave aside to make record play as tight as it was, we found that we did, we really did have a feature version there. You made this short, it got you a feature deal. Why make another short? Why not just try to make another feature again? Like, what is it? What is this magical short? Thing that you figured out that may, caused you to make another short. Well, to answer that question, I guess I have to say what happened the the first time around. Yeah, which is that um, you know after making the short of record play and after pitching it and setting it up with a major studio with a major production company, it just didn't work. At the end of the day, we experienced a couple of regime changes. We experienced an exec who honestly like vanished without a trace. From the but business. Th- this is like super common stuff in Hollywood, right? right. I mean, ninety percent of scripts that are written are not produced. In the oh, end, right? absolutely. But I think what you know, what my takeaway from it was was that you have to make a big choice about whether you want to pitch, um, whether you whether you want a development contract mm-hmm. deal, or whether you want a production deal. And with Record Play, we took it out and we took a development deal. We didn't want to write this on spec and that was for a lot of reasons we wanted like the bright shiny bait that was dangled in front of us money we wanted money 
Um, both Aaron and I were expecting children mm-hmm. relatively soon. Sure. We they gave really you children? To, yeah, they gave us children as part of the deal. If you make a movie wow. in Hollywood, you get a child. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Remind me not to make another movie. So it didn't work out, but um, it didn't work out. But I realized in I realized then that what I did not want was to go through the process of developing mm-hmm. a script with other people again, um, which is why, a, you know, after this kind of crashed and burned, um, which I now have several experiences with things crashing and burning, and I wouldn't trade them for the world because I am ridiculously smart about the way that I approach things mm-hmm. right now and I would not have that knowledge otherwise. Right. But, you know, with Do- Let Them Die Like Lovers, which is a film that I made last year that we're taking out on the festival circuit right now, um, it's a very good question that you guys are asking. Like, why make another short? Everybody's dying to make a feature. Why make another short? The reason for this is I wanted to take another shot at the success that we had with Record Play. And I wanted to do it differently this time. I wanted to make a short and I wanted to write the feature on spec. Hmm. I did not want a development deal. I did not want to make the make a feature script with with a producer. Did you write the feature financier before you made the short? I did write the feature before I made the short because what I thought was going to happen in my life is that I was going to make record play and that let them die like lovers would be the follow up to record play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were ready with your right. second feature exactly. Feature. And then when we knew that record play was not going to happen as a feature, at least not in its in in that version of it um i decided to reverse engineer a short Mm -hmm. out of the feature that i already had because i saw how easy it was for me to walk into any door and talk about my unique sci-fi concept and how it worked and there was no question of like well it's execution dependent because they're seeing it on screen in a short but so I mean, I think that's like a common thing, right? You're trying to pitch a feature. You have this great idea. You want to really show people, A, how that idea works in a visual medium, and B, why you are the person that should direct it. What's Why make like this kind of fully polished short that hits a festival circuit as opposed to making like a proof of concept video? Because a proof of concept video is exactly what it sounds like. If you like, if you were in an elevator with like your favorite producer or your favorite director and be like, hey, you want to watch this really cool proof of concept video? Who the fuck wants to watch a proof mm-hmm. of concept video? Mm-hmm. It's all proof I'll of concept it, video at the, at the end of the day, but like you have to disguise it as something else. Just for our listeners, what I mean by proof of concept is like you get your freaking iPhone out and you're shooting things, you edit it together, you rip sure. footage from other movies, you're really basically selling the tone and what your movie looks like without spending any money. Well, one of my favorite execs on one of my projects is like, you know, I had lunch with him one day and he was like, oh, great, a rip Somebody sent me a rip for their feature. Mm-hmm. I was like, so what do you feel when you get rip He's like, I don't feel anything except for like, great, they have a friend that could edit and they found $500 to pay their friend that could edit to like put clips together from other movies. It doesn't really do anything for me. Well, I mean, it definitely, you get tone out of it, right? You get tone out of it, but like if you're a good speaker, if you're a good storyteller, you should be able to kind of do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can make a short that actually has like a beginning, middle and end that feels like its own complete story, then people don't feel like it, then people don't feel like it's a proof of concept. Then you have a starting point to say like, look, here's what I did. I created a closed loop and that loop became an experience for you. Now what I can do for you or with you or you can help me to do is reopen that loop 
in a way that's exciting to both of us, mm-hmm. right? But you, but when you have something that feels closed and complete like that, it's so much more powerful because it shows that you've made a lot of choices. I'm trying to put like a finer point on why I feel like that doesn't work, but I feel no, like I think I get it. I feel like You're I feel no like people can smell a sale mm-hmm. a mile away, and if you if you can show them that something, if you can show them something that's like, here's a piece of of me, and here's a piece of my work, and it's not. And it's not just for the purpose of selling you. Mm-hmm. I think it just leads to a much more deeper connection between the person and that material. Ultimately, I think what you're just saying is that regardless of whether it's a part of a feature or a thing that's just, you know, you know, a thesis film or whatever, it has to work on its own terms, basically. It has to work on its own terms. It, I think it has to it really, really has to work on its own terms. Yeah. And you know, do you think that uh, like Welcome to Joe Berg, Neil Blomkamp's short did that? Or like Portal, so. Dan Trachtenberg's short. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Portal, Portal, not so much for me, but I would say maybe like the short version of the short of Whiplash. You know, sure, I mean that's that's that the best me. example, right? Like, yeah, it's directly lifted out of the film. Um, right, like uh, the scene. Yeah. I actually like, haven't seen the short. Does it have an end, like a satisfying it's, ending? It's literally the scene. Um, it's the not my tempo scene. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a good scene. Yeah. When it ends, when the short ends, it feels like, it feels like you've, you've experienced something, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't right. feel like you watched like the setup yeah. or something. And the, you know, this is something that I, that I talk about in my, my, you know, creating short form content storytelling workshop is that like, in addition to being a storyteller, in addition to making something that you think is really cool and that you're proud of, like you always have to look at it as a business investment, right? If your product, right, your product is your short. If your product can only do one thing, is it really a great investment? Mm-hmm. If it really is just a proof of concept and all that it does, the only reason that it's there is to service the idea that you have more to this story and it's just teeing up the rest of this story. Well, okay, it functions on one level. But it doesn't function on another level where, A, it can get you more more fans. It can get you an, more of an audience. Like an audience doesn't care that you like shot the first 10 pages of your script really well. They just feel no, like, No, oh. I, I mean, just to be un- yeah. clear here, proof of concept is not for a film festival or an audience. It's to right. m- go sell a studio or a production company or an indie financer or a rich dentist or whatever on yeah, making right. your movie. And right. I, now you can do that. Now that's, that's all of those things are valid goals and you should have those things as your goals. In addition to engaging with an audience, getting to film festivals. Um, if you're a director as well as a writer, making something that puts you in the minds of people as a, as a visual storyteller or as whatever kind of director you want to be as well. It's like record play function on so many levels, mm-hmm. right? It was the blueprint for a feature, which I didn't even realize that it was the blueprint for a feature at the time. It was a blueprint for a feature. It was a directorial calling card and it was perfectly tailored for a film festival, which I do think, you know, you get, you can kind of level up if you get the right kind of laurels and the right kind of stamps attached to your film. It um, it showed the things that I'm that I wanted to show mm-hmm. that I'm capable of, not just in terms of like making the feature film of a record play, but it was important for me to go out and have a piece of material that showed I know how to create a full arc in ten minutes. I know how to work with actors. 
to get a very dynamic performance within 10 minutes. I know how to tell a visual story without using any kind of language. And I know how to blow your mind with a sci-fi concept without having to explain the sci-fi concept by giving you enough mystery for the concept. And within that, within that kind of like dark and violent space, I can still find a mood that's about love and romance and, you know, love and romance transcending and being epic. So I reverse engineered my goals. You know, everything, everything that I just said is what I wanted the feature to be, but it's also how I wanted to be seen Mm -hmm. as a director. Right. These are my skills and these are, this is what I'm going to put into my short. And I think that a lot of people get distracted with a lot of other things. They, they feel like, well, I'm making a short, it has to look, it has to feel like a Hollywood film. It has to have like everything, you know, I have to have like a steady cam shot in there. So your shorts, I mean, they kind of look like Hollywood films. They look like Hollywood films only because they're, but, but that's because they were shot on Hollywood Boulevard. No, 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 (laughs) because they were very specific because I was able to phase out through process of elimination. What was not important to us? I think Mm -hmm. the, the ultimate point that you're making, Jesse, is that like, it's easy for people to get caught up in a certain aspect of their film, right? Like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that or whatever. And you're saying, take a step back, Mm -hmm. reevaluate what really is important to you about this film. What are you trying to say about yourself as a filmmaker and the stories that you want to tell? And then with those concrete specifics, you have a better chance at approaching your film that will, um, ultimately do all of those things for you, right? It'll, it'll, it'll be the, the biggest payoff, the biggest bang for your buck, basically, rather than piecemeal, like, you know, one's a VFX thing and one's a dialogue thing. Right. And like, this one's practice and this one looks good. And, you know, you could spend a decade doing that, basically. Yeah, so I you're think saying so. you're saying nail it, basically. I, I, well, I'm saying nail it, but I'm saying also, like, decide what it would decide who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Decide who you want to be as a storyteller. Decide who you want to be as a director. And make sure that all the choices that you're making in your story, in your filmmaking, in the way that you present your film are reflective of that. And don't get distracted by other things. In record play, there's several right. fight scenes in the hallways. Um you know, with our with our main character um, getting into altercations with a couple of Bosnian soldiers. Um, originally, in the script, you know, those pages were kind of like, a lo- I mean, those fights were really complicated. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be like pages, and it was going to take like a full day to shoot them, and it was going to add a day to our shoot. And at the end of the day, I had, I had to say to myself, am I doing this like am i doing this for the story or am i doing this for my ego Mm -hmm. you know and like at the end of the day with this film i'm trying to show you that i can make sci-fi films with human emotions i'm not trying to sell myself as an action director right right so do i need a fight scene not really and then all of a sudden those things got simplified into like a punch a reverse punch and a knockout okay they were super simple and it gave me more space and more room to allocate resources to the things that were more important to right. the story, like spending more time with the characters. And made your film more successful. And made my film more yeah. successful. So like the more that you can narrow in on like what your goal is, and this is what what you know Aaron and I teach in, in our storytelling classes, like the more you can narrow in on like who you want to be and what your goals are, you reverse engineer all those things and put them back to the movie. We decided to do a time travel movie that took place, you know, half in like 2005 half in 1993 people were like you're crazy you have no money 
Um, and you know, there were some like sleepless nights where I was like, oh my God, how are we going to show that she's in Bosnia in the middle of the war? Like, what are we going to, what are we going to need to do? We're going to need to have like burning tires and like an alley and a sniper and like, you know, shrapnel and debris all over the place. And all of a sudden at the end, I was just like, you know what? It's sound. All that it is, is sound. And the reason was twofold. First of all, we didn't have the money to do that. But second of all, like I was able to say to myself, what am I really going to prove? If we do do that, if I put her in an alley with burning tires and shrapnels and broken glass. You are the burning tire guy. Man, right. You're so good. Burning. Yeah. No, it's like, what am I going to prove? I'm not going to prove anything right. except that I somehow found the money found the, to found put the those money. things right. in the film. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two schools of thought to just make. I mean, it's not the opposite, but it's like a little. There's so many things to worry about, you know, when you're making something or writing something or whatever. And I have that problem with writing. Like I start writing. I'm like, this sucks. And I just like go, whatever, eat some chocolate. Um, but with filmmaking, you have the same problem. So, you know, there is a, at some point you should just make stuff and not worry about the strat, all the strategy, you know, I, in my opinion, like there's something important about just being, being active and learning from your mistakes. Like you said, like you wouldn't be where you are if you didn't make all these mistakes beforehand. So yeah, I mean, it's a balance. It's like do things, learn, be strategic, but also don't worry about everything too much. I think. Right. Well, so Jesse, I want to learn a little bit more about your class, actually, because to me, I it sounds to me like this is the opportunity for you to, for a filmmaker who maybe is floundering, to calculate in very specific ways and then be armed with the the final their answer basically for this short, and then and then they can just go shoot it. Right. So they, maybe mm-hmm. you get to have your cake and eat it too with this class. So tell us what what's the format? How does it work? How can people sign up? All that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny just to kind of bounce off of what Oren's saying. Like, I totally agree. Like you should just, sh- I want people to just shoot it. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to be hindered by fear, but I also want people to make choices that are, make choices right now that are in line with their long-term goals. Right. So if they're saying like, well, I want to, I'm going to like just shoot it. I'm not going to care about like, for example, my art direction. But like what I really want to do is like Wes Anderson type films. Well, if you make if you put your time and resources into a film that doesn't really have great production design or art direction, you're not going to be able to pitch yourself on on those kinds of films. Um, and so it's like make choices now that are going to pay off in the future. Right. I love what you said about like if you don't care to be an action director, don't waste your time trying to shoot right. expensive action things that will not look nearly as good as a right. Hollywood movie. So it's about it's about understanding the philosophy of of looking at a short as part of your ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, as it's part of an ecosystem of content, you know, your brand, your voice, learning how to define your own voice within 10 minutes or less and learning how to define it in a way that's going to, let's say, if you're making a short that you know that you have feature potential with or series potential with that, that piece of content and we'll, we will for the sake of the class, we'll call it the content, mm-hmm. um, that that piece of content reflects the same values and themes um, of the long form work that you're creating. Um, there is a, just so that you are expending your energy in the right way. And you're not, you know, when you want to present yourself as X, that you're not making choices that are taking away from X and making you look more like Y. Um, and it's not like a one size fits all prescriptive thing. Um, but there are a lot of tips and tricks that, that I know. Uh, I think that some of them we talked about a little bit on the show, just about, you know, the pacing of a short film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is no definitive three act structure for a short film, but 
you know, there's there's a lot of different things to look at as far as like, you know, the crafting of the way that you're presenting ideas, the way that you can use um, your character's orientation, um, you, the way that you can use repetition in your films. I use repetition in my films a lot. You know, you see the same thing over and over and the thing itself doesn't change, but the character's orientation changes That way you only have to shoot it once. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's true. It's yeah. really like, you know, maximizing your location. Yeah. Like you look at Record Play, Record Play has three locations. Yeah. And our main character goes through an entire range of emotions and he's doing the same thing over and over again. You know, it just, he's just in a different emotional state every time that he does it. And it's just looking at different ways that you can kind of consolidate your ideas and not feel like you're competing with um, making something that has to feel like a feature in terms of scope and resources Mm -hmm. and dialing that in and then making choices about how you want to go forward and pitch and present your ideas whether you want to go out with a script, whether you want to go out with a pitch, and understanding this one key concept that I will kind of drop in as like a little sure, tidbit, a little nugget, which yeah. is that you know, in you know, a lot of people ask me, and we talk about this in the class a lot. A lot of people ask me, what do you need to, what do you need to know in order to expand a short into a feature or series? And I say you have to go in and convince the person, convince the network, the buyer, the agent, the producer, the financier, whoever it is, it has to be, your feature has to be exactly 100% the same as your short and exactly 100% different Hmm. in the same time. And if you can figure out how to do that, how to make it familiar and new and strange and exciting at the same time, that's that's really Mm -hmm. my one kind of like, Tony Robbins esque sentence. That's the only thing that I can that that I know is like across the board for every filmmaker that comes through. So you're saying though that basically, when the the one hundred percent the same, it's not that it can be stylistically similar or in the same voice or like anything like that. You're saying literally, if I make a short about uh, my dog that talks and it becomes my therapist, mm-hmm. I'm pitching a dog therapist movie. That's a great question, and I'm going to say that the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. But if you made a dog therapist short, mm-hmm. and you were going to pitch a movie, and you can say, look, I want you to watch my short, because there's three things about this short that are exactly the same in my short mm-hmm. that I'm doing in my feature. Okay? And, 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 and also, here's how, here's how you can tell that I'm a good storyteller. Right. There's three things in the short that made it also feel small, that made it really work for a short. Mm-hmm. Here's three ways in which I'm going to approach my feature that are completely different. Interesting. So it's like, mm-hmm. you like this, and now I'm in your room because you like this. Great. Let's reconnect on the things that you like. Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you why this exists in another medium. Interesting. You know? Yeah. So, and how is the workshop one day thing? Yeah, yeah. is it workshop style or what, what's the format of the show, of the class? So the format of the class, um, the format of the class is it's, it's a one day workshop. Um, it's about two hours of talks. It also depends. So right now, Aaron Wolf and I are in different cities. Mm -hmm. So we usually throw out a few dates. Our next workshops are coming up in July and we usually, um, we usually just, uh, we take about 10 to 12 people per class. And we try to schedule it in far in advance so that we can both be there. And I talk a lot about the actual filmmaking and the directing and the directorial choices and the production choices. And Aaron tells, talks a lot about personal storytelling. And they both dovetail into watching examples of other films, other, other, other mm-hmm. short films that have transitioned to um, 
to features or to longer formats, picking out what the examples of those techniques are in those in in those other examples of content, and then um, and then individualize attention mm -hmm. because there is no you know reviewing your script, reviewing your concept, you know um, a few exercises in class of like how does what how does what you're working on align with who you are, mm -hmm. where you want to go. Not in like a hokey new age, let's all hold crystals and instead of filmmaking, but like really making sure that you are aligned with your project in a way that's going to make what you create and how you present yourself mm -hmm. really powerful. And, you know, you, you have to pay attention to everybody's individual stories because there is no there is no save the cat book for shorts. There is no one size fits right. all. Save the kitten. Right. Yeah. You can find both record play and let them die like lovers on autonomica.com a-u-t-n-o-m-i-k-a.com and um and there's a classes page on autonomica so oh, you cool. can visit the site you can check out the films and you can also learn more about the class there and awesome. send jesse all your feedback on the shorts you're like <laughs> hey i really like this shot exactly the, the best you know we just released let them die like lovers on dust on youtube which is a specifically a sci-fi yeah. channel and some of the comments are just amazing yeah. just amazing like it's really if you're like if you ever just feel like hey like i just really want to understand like where humanity is at in 2018 you just go to something you like on youtube and just go through the comments <laughs> i want to ask you one last question before we go into our final segment unless matt has another final question <laughs> but my final question is what's like one small thing that once one mistake that you've seen a lot of people do with their short filmmaking like less philosophical, it can be more specific. I mean, you already talked about slow pacing up front. Is there any any other common like thing? a little something little that nugget, people can yeah. avoid yeah. doing? Um, um, I'm shooting a short in a week. Yeah, oh, you what? have a shoot date already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, it's longer than a week. A week like, and a half. like there's something I always I see shorts a lot, and I'm like, ah, oh, it feels student filmy, and I not I can't ever quite put my put your finger on what finger what's on wrong it. with it. Yeah. I mean, I will admit they it mostly. Uh, it has to do with time travel usually um and like going back and like you missed your test or whatever studying for your test <laughs> no but there is something you know you know what i mean there's like some shorts that just they feel okay so i think wrong. that there's i think that there's these are two separate things but they kind of they're mm -hmm. they're definitely related Ooh, yeah i think when you start to see the same name on multiple credits it oh, kind yeah. of spells don't like, do that right oh it's kind of like produced by and written right. by and acted by sure so the like takeaway starring. there is like yeah like, find a crew basically or, or just a say crew, a jesse just, atlas film and give credits or, to the people that are not jesse atlas right yeah that or like you know if you're one man band great but like i don't need to sit through the ego fest if right. it feels like an ego fest i'm gonna tune out something that i got dinged for somebody sent me an article or i have like a google alert for mm -hmm. record play so, you know, like three years after Recorded Play came out, I, you know, I got a hit like that. I got a write up someplace and I was like, what could this possibly be about? Like it's done its festival run. We already sold it, um, you know, and it was an article called I, I might have to look it up again, but it was something about, you know, like faux pas of short films. And this mm -hmm. specific one was about the runtime of your end credits. Sure. Oh, yeah. And I, so I, I'm down with that one, actually. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. and it was like here, as an example, is record play, a definitive example of credits that are way too long. <laughs> yeah. How long are the credits? I don't 
No. You and never I, made it to the end yeah, of them? Yeah, and it wasn't... Well, no, I did make it well, to the end of them. Because when they, you're in a shorts block, especially, you have yeah. to sit through all of the... Normally, you just leave it in a movie, right. and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to watch the credits, I'm leaving. But yeah. in a shorts block, if it's the, you know, if it's not the last film, you're stuck there. No, it's true, and I didn't really think yeah. about it as being... I didn't I didn't cater the... Uh, I didn't tailor the, the credits to film festivals, but like... Now, having been in a lot of shorts programs, mm-hmm. I definitely have like so much more respect for the filmmaker who's like, credits are boom, 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 yeah. done. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool, because you knew you knew that you were going to be playing next to another short film, and you knew that you wanted to just get out. Like yeah. sometimes in my credits, and I've sat there, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> these really are incredibly painfully long. And it wasn't about ego; I just didn't really like know any better. Yeah, sure. You're yeah. like, oh, I can read these names. What, and what the song think? is this long, or whatever, you know. What do you guys think about opening credits? My my opinion is you should not have them on short films. I don't think you I don't think you need them. Actually, I've made four shorts. One with a partner, two narratives that you guys have seen and we're talking about and another one that is not out yet that I can't quite talk about. But um I in all four of them across the board, I do have opening titles in mm-hmm. them, but I'm only using them to hide and edit uh-huh sure you know yeah. so i'm like the the opening is like a montage it's like here's one image and then a credit mm-hmm. and then cut to another image and then a credit and cut to another image and then a credit and they're like those three shots that i feel like are doing a lot of quick work for me and setting up the right. mood and pacing i don't feel like i could just put those three shots together i think that it would look sloppy unless there was like a black screen with a credit in between it right 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 or and, like a cold open i like as well like that's a, right. if you talk about pacing you can really like yeah. open with a bang yeah quick title and then into your yeah I, I have no problem that's, with titles or even oh, like oh you mean like i mean like starring mm-hmm. michael imperioli yeah, yeah. you know like that as it's going yeah. like cinematographer yeah. director producer da, 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 like all I the think, like yeah, tv credits here's the yeah. thing i think there's no there's no right or wrong if it if it helps set the tone then great you right, know right. if it's like an awesome piece of music and it's like great to just sit in like a scary piece of music for a minute where you're like mm-hmm. oh man like what am i getting into then that sounds great um, if it's opening credits and like, if you can kind of tell that there's like an in joke in the opening credits, oh, that's another thing. Like your production company name, everybody feels like, oh, I'm making a short film, so like I gotta make a production company name, and it's like fucking like, you know, my dog looks peanut butter off my face. Productions, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm out. I'm not interested <laughs> in this anymore because like you had to throw like an in joke in for yourself. Yeah, and like maybe that's a, a dumb example, but like we can all tell where it's like. No, I have a good example. You know, so my feature the hammer it's probably top secret information but i don't care um one of our eps is this guy dan punk ass caldwell everyone knows him by punk ass he's like mm-hmm. one of the founders of tap out this like mma brand um and in the opening scene where his credit was it was like a school like a classroom full of special needs kids and we had like real special needs kids and like this kind of moving uh like scene about this kid that's like being just you know tr- mistreated a little bit and like I did not want the credits to say punk ass on the screen like while this is happening. And they're like, but he's punk ass. Everyone's been calling him punk ass since he was a kid. And we're like, well, we are not going to take his money if we have to write punk ass on the screen during the scene. And in the end, he finally agreed. So Dan Caldwell says, but at the end, we have like in the end credits, like the scrolling ones, it says punk ass. Good but, on punk ass. Um, but yeah, he's he's awesome. And, you know, the people that were care were protecting him never even asked him when we asked him. Finally, he's like. Yeah, no, that's weird for it to say punk ass. <laughs> but um, 
But Jesse, yeah. you're saying like you don't care for basically you just don't like the the crew in jokes, like the friends and family. I feel like there's a way to present yeah. your to to present things in a way that's like I made this for you right. as an audience, or like I made this for me because mm-hmm. I'm like special because I made right. a movie. I always think of and there's uh, other like there's all like tidbits. Yeah, yeah, being cute also being can cute, ruin the tone. Like, okay, well, you know, you just even in a comedy, you made it you'd for say you. that's yeah, bad. I think so. It makes you. It makes it feel. It makes it feel like it's about the filmmaker before I've even seen the film. Right, and that's just a turn off. Let's uh, let's move on to our final segment. Unpaid endorsements. So, um, Star Wars: The Last Jedi is out on Blu-ray, and uh, I bought it because I love special features. I'm in this weird thing. I know I'm the, the last person to buy Blu-rays. Jesse's staring at me in disbelief. But uh, the nice thing about like big, big Hollywood movies is that they have the special features are pretty robust and like, you know, it's kind of the best way to see like movies at that scale. So whether you love them or not, it's like just fun to kind of like put them on in the background and um, pick up like little tips and tricks. But Ryan Johnson, I genuinely love as a director and his uh, audio commentaries are awesome. So I'm I'm endorsing the audio commentary on The Last Jedi. It's kind of a, a weird thing, but yeah, totally worth listening to. And also, um, apropos of this conversation, he did a ripomatic for Looper that's pretty good. And it's he like did. have you have you seen he did. it? Ooh. Yeah. Can we is it it's on public? it's on his Vimeo mm-hmm. channel and like is a really great example of you get the to- the tone and the style and then he mixes like voiceover and then like i want to say footage of bruce willis but definitely like days of heaven and kind of like weird choices that all somehow work and are actually really evocative of what looper ended up looking like and then also like some animatics and stuff so it's a mixture of all of those disciplines and he was the known director yeah he was already he was brothers bloom at that point so i think it was a little bit easier but um but is an interesting it's kind of my go-to of like oh ripomatics maybe are interesting but um i I guess it doesn't hurt to be right yeah look i'm i'm happy to be proven wrong sure (laughs) i think kind of to your point 95 percent of ripomatics are kind of boring yeah. But if you if you can get someone excited about something, mm-hmm. whether it's through editing old footage together or you coming on screen and saying something or being in the right. room, it's like whatever your special way yeah. of getting yeah. people excited. Do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't. I hope it didn't sound like I was no, undermining no, no. at all. But you know, um, it's 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 a it's it's also interesting to note that like in Ripomatics, like what you see in what you choose to put into a Ripomatic, somebody else might see something completely different. Definitely, there was a horror movie. That I found out after I didn't get it that I was second in line to get it. And the reason that I did not is that I put some creatures mm-hmm. into my ripomatic for it, thinking, and I put the creatures in thinking like I'm setting the mood and just telling you that this is gonna be terrifying. What the producer saw sure. is that, oh, he thinks we have money for this this level of CGI mm-hmm. and we don't. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's really dangerous is like you you pick an actor, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, oh, well, yeah. I, I go ahead. I picked, you know, Jonah Hill because he's in a thousand movies and he says some funny stuff. And mm-hmm. so, or because he's holding like the right, like right. spoon that you right. need. Yeah, yeah. And scene. it's like, oh, the spoon movie. Um, and so then they're like, well, Jonah Hill's the wrong choice, obviously. And you yeah. just picked him because of the spoon. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's, it's so, dangerous. Stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. It really, it is kind of dangerous. Yeah. All right. So I guess my, uh, 
Is it my unpaid endorsement? Um, this is maybe nerdy and maybe too film no, industry, no, but no. like as long as you don't get paid for it, it's I don't get paid for it. But Writer Duet oh. is a program that I love, and I think that whether you're writing with somebody like I am or whether you're not, I've definitely recommended it very highly to people who don't have writing partners too. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's awesome because you have one document mm-hmm. for your script. You're not making multiple documents. It's cloud-based. You can see all your revisions. You can see earlier drafts, but you just have one file to mm-hmm. keep track of. It automatically like syncs with Google and Dropbox or wherever you want to back it up on your on your local system. And it's on like I know for me like I can I can you know uh, it's the same. I don't have to move a file anymore. I have Writer Duet on on my tablet and on my phone, and on my laptop, and on my desktop. And can you outline with it, or rearrange you can, scenes? You can outline, you can rearrange scenes. Um, does it cost money? It does, but it is surprisingly cheap for the amount of quality that you get out of this thing. And the amount of access. And the amount of good scripts you get out of this. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. I just think, I think it's the smartest script writing tool by far that I've encountered, and I encourage cool. other so people to check it out. So you're saying just do it. I'm saying, yeah, just just, just, just write or do it. Oh boy. Um. Yes. Uh. Well, I have one that is, as usual, pretty bad. <laughs> but um, I've been on a lot of conference calls recently. So, for my biggest, biggest, biggest pet peeve of a conference call is when there's like a ten number, ten digit pin number. You know, mm-hmm. that you have to put in. But there's all these like new uh, services, like Uber Conference is one that I've been using a lot, where there's no pin number. Um, and also they let you record the call. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then it's just a link or an MP3 file. And so I think this is kind of like standard issue when you're pitching on commercials or ta- having like talking to creative directors or like to agencies when you're pitching. But uh, I haven't done this yet, but I feel like it's a great tool just if you're calling like your writing partner or whatever, or you're pitching something to someone uh, is to use these conference lines like an Uber conference because... Um, you can record yourself and then you can listen back to it later and learn. I've learned so much from listening to myself, Mm -hmm. like even making dumb jokes on a client call and realizing that no one's getting them, you know, uh, it's like useful to to have a recording. You can cringe again for the, yeah, (laughs) all over again. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, check them out. Uber conference and freeconference.com are like two that I've used before, but, um, Record your creative calls I love and that. listen yeah. back to them. Yeah, I'm also I'm not a super uh, auditory learner. Like I'm much more visual, and so having a record that I can go back and reference and like double check on is really nice as well. Well, you know, in the commercial world, a lot of times the directors aren't writing their treatments, uh, the big secret, uh, and they hire writers. And so the writers, their number one tool is to listen to the call between the director and the agency. So that's how they do it too. Anyhow, um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Jesse, for coming. Yeah, Jesse, this thanks is for having me. Show. Yeah, yeah um, great. How can listeners find out more about you? Do you tweet? Do you Instagram? What do you like? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm jesse.atlas on Instagram. Um, you can find the films at autonomica.com. And Facebook is pretty much just pictures of my daughter. So I don't yeah. really add a lot of people there. there yeah, no problem. We don't either. Um, well, awesome. Well, you can, uh, if you have any comments or questions or want to tell us what you thought about this interview, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, on Instagram, 
on Twitter. We are just shoot it pod at all those places. On Twitter, I am at Smitey Pileg. And I'm Mr. Matt Enlow. Music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Uh, it was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The question of this week is... What is your most useless talent? Uh, mine is solving a Rubik's Cube. Uh, I can uh, bend my tongue into a W. Ready? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most people can't do it. Well, pretty impressive. Yeah, let yeah, us know so. what you guys uh, have done and if it ended up being useful. I always like want to give a character in a movie like a useless talent and then like, make it like the thing that solves everything at the end. And I realize that's, that's bad writing. <laughs> um Cool. Well, yeah, let us know, guys. Tweet at us, Facebook, anywhere. It'll be, we'll have a thread on the Facebook and Twitter accounts. Keep an eye out. And if you want to do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps the podcast grow. And that's it. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.